0: The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsource solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716 716- Six three zero twenty four hundred. 630 Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and business consultants. Buffalo Sabres on Wednesday night won the NHL draft lottery. They will get to pick first overall so, who better to have on the podcast than Chris Baker? You follow him on Twitter, at Sabres Prospects. And uh, he is joining us, uh, the usual crew, with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times and Matthew Fairburn, he also of The Athletic. Um, without further ado, Chris Baker, what would you like to see the Sabres do? with their number one overall draft pick.
1: Do something that's going to allow them to win more games in the future. As a, uh, as a watcher of hockey in the Buffalo market, I'd like to watch a better product than we've gotten accustomed to watching in recent years. So that's a nice 30,000 foot answer. There you go. I mean, there's some good players there for them to take, but they have flexibility, man. And um, you know, they kind of hold the cards, you know, so whatever they do, Draft a player for future use, future utility, or move that pick, they have to have a vision of getting better somehow using that as an asset.
2: What would be what could they been... trade? Go ahead, the go ahead, John. What would kind of be the value or the return in potentially trading the number
1: one pick? That's that's a awesome. hard that's a hard question to answer. I mean Someone has to, you know, because you don't know, and this is such an odd year for scouting the players too, where there's no one player available that jumps out as that guy that's a franchise-altering agent. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's really hard to say what the cost would be. I see some really wild, heavily slanted towards Buffalo, you know, trade propositions out there in the Twitter timeline. It's really hard to say. I think that if someone really believed that, say, that defenseman from the University of Michigan, Owen Power, was going to be their cornerstone, their Victor Hedman, their Drew Dowdy that's going to play 28 minutes a night and just be a workhorse for 10, 12 years. If if that player stands out to a team, then you have something to talk about. Otherwise, I don't see – I mean, I go into this whole exercise in the next whatever it is, month and a couple of weeks leading up to the draft, thinking that the Sabres are going to make the pick because I just – they have too many other things going on in orbit around them too, Jonah, with – Reinhardt situation and the whole Eichel thing, the expansion draft and the R- Ristolainen thing. I just I see them making the pick. I don't see them receiving an offer that's going to motivate them to really move out unless it's one or two spots down, so they still get a primary as like a a solid asset. It's really hard to say what that return is though. It's not anything that's going to make you fall out of your chair. I don't think.
3: You mentioned that there's not one player that jumps out as kind of a franchise altering, you know, type of talent, as we've seen in other draft classes. How do? How does the top of this board compare to most years? Just because there's, you know, I see a lot of people bummed out or say, or maybe it's just Sabres Twitter in general. is like, oh, they got the number one pick, but of course in a year where there's no, you know, generational superstar. But how does this, top of this class compared to most years?
1: I think it's good. I mean, I, I, it's not, just because you don't have a Connor McDavid or, you know, someone like that doesn't mean it's a bad class. There's some pretty good depth to this class. I mean, if I, if I look into the, you know, early to mid teens, I see players there that I would love to get there in the early to mid teens in any draft. So, you know, one of the best Bantam players that I've seen in probably the past 15 or 20 years may not go until 15 you know, a kid named Chaz Lucius, who plays for the National Team Development Program, he has a great name. Chaz Lucius, great one of the best players I've seen at 15, 16 years old when he played for Gentry. But I mean, he's not going to be a top 10 pick in this class. I think that you know, teams that are looking for defensemen will be happy to be near the top of this draft. You have some good left-handers. You have a pretty good right-hander. Um, there's some good, good forwards. Again, maybe not bona fide NHL first team All-Stars, but very good, useful players of different skill sets. But all these kids now, with all the training that they have, hockey's a year-round sport for a lot of these kids now. They can all skate like the wind. They all have really impressive hands and puck skills and creativity to them. I mean, there's some good forwards here also. So... It's not super top-heavy with, like, a superstar or one or two at the top and then just a really good, you know, solid cop after them. It's a pretty steady flow of good players right from the jump in this draft class.
2: Chris, you mentioned Chaz Lucius, and I'm thinking Owen Power, and I'm wondering, do you pick hockey players like I pick Kentucky Derby horses and the best name breaks the
1: tie? You know, it's really funny because every year, Jonah, there's, like, a player that just because he has a cool name, fans – magically want. Bodie Wild was one a few years ago, you know? Um, But yeah, I think Owen Power fits that, that bill, but he also happens to be a really, really good player. And I'm already seeing people kind of dog him a little bit because I think they just are down. Well, number one, they're down because they're Sabres fans, you know, and we don't have to rehash that. I mean, the whole defeatist attitude of Sabres nation is, is pretty clear, but um, people don't want a defenseman. Either they don't think that unless you draft Bobby or that you should take a defenseman at the top of the draft. Well,
2: so Owen Powell, be pretty good on defense, right? Don't need what's to, that? They don't. Well, the Sabres don't need help on defense. They've got that locked up already.
1: I don't know. I mean, I'm not drafting. When I'm looking at the draft, I don't really look at who's here right now, like on the top club roster. I look at because because who's here today could be gone tomorrow, and. You always want to just, if you can, if you have the ability to draft the best player, regardless of the position that he plays, you have to take that player. You're taking an asset and you still have to dress six defensemen every night and you still have to dress 12 forwards and, you know, two goalies. So it's like, take the best player at his position. I think Owen, I can make a case for Owen Power at one. I can make an easy case, I think, for Owen Power at one. I just can't put him on his own tier because I can also make a case for, you know, Matt Beniers, his teammate, University of Michigan, I can make a case for Dylan Gunther from the Edmonton Oil Kings. I mean, there's he's got a cool name too. I think, but um, no, I hear you there. I mean, it, it's going to be really tough to see what the Sabers want to do, but I think when it, when if they keep the pick, I think they're going to take. Likely, they're going to take a, a player from the University of Michigan.
3: Which one would you take?
1: Um. So I don't want to spoil my draft preview, but yeah, I think I can a, make a. But I think I can. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't. I think I can make a case for Owen Power to go number one, um, for a couple reasons. I think there's, there's hockey reasons. I think there's also connections there. Now, I'll actually, I'll start with the connection. I mean, Tristan Musser, who does a lot of the research into the draft prospects, and he's an amateur scout for the Sabers. He was part of that group at the Chicago Steel, the USHL, that drafted and developed Owen Power when he went to the Chicago Steel coming out of the Mississauga Reps there's a natural connection there. I think that they have intelligence on the player and the human being that maybe other teams may not have. Um, Musser was on the, like the, in the hockey operations part, but he was a skills coach for them. He worked with him, presumably a lot on ice. Um, when, when you're six foot six and 215 pounds as an 18 year old, um, that's a really nice physical package that um, you have. I mean, Everyone likes the smaller you know the Quinn Hughes types of kind of nifty puck carrying defensemen, but um, you know in the NHL now you know you're going to start to hear a lot more about five man units you're going to start to hear about kind of like position like positionless hockey where you know that takes guys that can skate really well extremely well it takes high hockey i q um Anticipation. Okay. But at the end of that whole positionless kind of philosophy, defensemen still have to defend stick on stick, stick on puck through the body, you know? And it's easier to do when you're six foot six and five ten. I like watching the Tampa Bay Lightning in the final minutes of a game when they are, you know, nursing a one goal lead and they're facing an extra attacker. That's when a guy like Victor Hedman really shines. He gets leverage because he's so big and strong on that stick. He's got he gets leverage in front of the net. He goes down on one knee and he's huge when he blocks shots. These are things that again, maybe that smaller puck carrying defenseman can't do for you. I can make a case for Owen Power to go number one, being six foot six, two hundred fifteen pounds, and I would also send him back by the way to the University of Michigan if I do draft him. Go back, get stronger right here. And you can't. Well, I don't know if you can see there it is in the core. um stand up yeah right no you don't want to see that actually yeah i'm looking better joe but no i would say um i would send him back to get stronger win a championship he could play more minutes there there's long-term value in him going back developing further along as a human being leading a team to a national championship come in and plug right into the nhl i can make a case for that with Owen power i lean there right now actually i don't think it's super difficult to make that decision. But to Jonah's point, you know, you have Rasmus Dahlin is a left-handed defenseman, Jacob Bryson, left-handed defenseman. Um, you know, you have Yoki Haru, Borgen, um, and there's a in on the right, but then you have Ryan Johnson, Matias Samus, a left-handed defenseman. Hey, listen, having too many players at one position is a pretty good problem to have, especially defensemen. I don't need to go back and talk about whatever year that was in the playoffs when they, had to call up five guys or whatever from Rochester to get through a series against the Hurricanes, you know? 2006. 2006, man. There you go. But, yeah, I, I can make that case um, for Owen Power, Matt, if you, if you wanted an answer today on June, early June.
3: Well, I'll let you leave the door open. we got to build the suspense and, you know, build the intrigue for, for your draft preview. So, the early
2: lean to Owen Power.
1: The early lean is definitely Owen name. Power. Yeah, based solely on the name.
2: Is there – can the Sabres screw this up? Is there a potential pick or a scenario you see where a couple years from now we're looking back and thinking, gee, I really missed that opportunity?
1: They could screw it up if they trade too far down and or don't get a 20-22 number one in the process or something like that. I mean, that's really the only way because if you don't take the big left-handed defenseman, then – I, if I'm in the draft room, I'd be banging on the, on the table to take Matt Bennears who played center this year. Um, I like drafting centerman high. I'm not against taking natural wingers high, but I mean, if you were to look at a player like Matt Bennears, who's playing right now, who had actually a pretty bad injury today, it looks like at the world championship. He's one of the few amateur players playing at the worlds right now for team USA. Um, I could see him being a very uh, attractive player to the Sabers, not just because of his, Um, position as a centerman, but I mean, his, just his work ethic, his intelligence, he's got good size. He's six one, probably about 175, 180 pounds. To borrow, I think we have some football people on this, on this zoom here. He's a high motor type of player. So his feet are always moving. He's just kind of very aggressive on the forecheck, but he's very creative. Um, I I like him as a player plenty. I can make a case for him. Does he have Um, good hips? Good hips. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Hips right. Twitchy. Yeah. Um, pad level. all of that pad love. Yes. All of that. Um, you know, he's a good route runner on the, on the back check too. But I, I think he's, um, I think he would be very attractive to the Sabres because, you know, he has like, he's a Massachusetts kid. He has that Massachusetts moxie to him. He's a pissa. You know what I mean? He kind of gets in your face. He kind of plays that kind of style in the corners. He goes hard. I like that type of player plays fast. I can make a case for him too. So if there's a secondary lean, I would look at a player like that too, but, That's the thing about this. It's kind of a hodgepodge at the top where, you know, you'll hear experts and and non-experts tell you that there's real no consensus here, but I, you know, I could, I could probably look at, I could drill down to two or three players.
2: If the pick is Veneers, if it's the best center, is that a signal that Jack Ike goes out the door?
1: No, not necessarily. Um, I I think it's just another move to build up depth where you haven't had it. And, um, you know, just, they, they finally have some semblance of depth developing behind Eichel now, you know, post O'Reilly, if you think about it, with Middlestad coming of age, Dylan Cousins looking like he's going to be a, a really good player. Um, I mean, a, a, an impact player, a difference maker. Um, it gives you – that gives you breathing room to properly develop these players. It gives you breathing room to send veneers back and see if you can actually salvage the whole Eichel situation. Um I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not really going to connect anything that they do in the draft cycle. I'm really not. I think that, you know, get the best player and start building a team that can win some games and, and learn a lesson actually that you build a team because a lot of things that the Sabres did in the five years ago was about one player. And that was just folly, man. You know, you got to build a team and and they tried and they, they failed, but build a team the right way now.
0: I was going to ask you about Beneers' injury, which you uh, mentioned. It just happened uh, today. Uh, We're recording this on Thursday. Um, Happening so close to the draft, and I know that hockey is the long long play when it comes to uh, evaluating prospects. Do you think this injury could impact his draft stock at all?
1: Not for me, Um, but there's more to be known about the injury. You know what's the severity, right? I mean, is it is, does he need reconstructive ankles? I, I don't. I don't know enough about the injury. I saw the play. I haven't dug into it between now and talking, or between then and talking to you guys. But um, right. Same I wouldn't here. think so. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Um, in concept, I wouldn't think that that would have anything to do with this draft stock. Tim, now again, because it is a longer play, and any of these kids that you're you're drafting we've said it before. I was on your, I think I was on your show when you were still in studio years ago saying quit relying on 18 year old kids to come in and change your franchise. Right. Like same here, man. Same, same story with this player. The
0: thing that uh, is interesting uh, regarding that sentiment with uh, the and the injury and his draft stock is that it will be the Seattle Kraken's first draft pick. Yeah. And might that, cause some sort of pause within Seattle's uh, front office if he is on the board if the if the Sabres take Owen Power and do you want to draft a guy who's injured and the fact that for your team and your rollout and you probably want to have that guy be a part of the team if he can be uh, in, in his first NHL season or what? whatever I don't know what Seattle's thinking is with how it would use veneers
2: uh, but um That that would be be an interesting wrinkle. How about, you know, if we need to sell some tickets in Seattle for that first game, trade Jack Eichel to Seattle for the number two pick. Sabres can get both of these Chris Baker pets.
1: Got to get more than that for Eichel, I think.
2: But Much more than that, though? Could you build a deal around those pieces?
1: I think if you're trading Jack Eichel, you can't do it for futures, man. You got to do it for win now assets and – um the other thing though with Beniers and C- the seattle thing is that i'm not necessarily convinced like a lot of why i would connect Beniers to the sabers is the pedigree of the player matching up with how it aligns with who's in the sabers front office with usa national team connections now i i'd have to go back i'd have to look at ron francis the staff that he's built out in seattle but there's a hell of a player, another one that plays at Michigan, who's a British Columbia kid, Kent Johnson, who's played left winger from start to finish with Beneers on that top line for Michigan this year. You know, maybe they, maybe they would go for that player that has that Western. Yeah. That flair. And they play the geography angle a little bit. I mean, I could see there's a lot of cases to be made for players to go one, two, three, four, maybe even five. And you could pull 20 teams, and I bet you their order would look different on all 20 if, if the permutations allow it.
2: <laughs> so it sounds like winning the lottery is worthless. they were as good to stay where they were, and it wouldn't have mattered.
1: Well, I mean, it gives them the control. You can look at it half full or half empty. They could be the one that controls well, their destiny, or, the or they can make the mistake. And um, I don't necessarily see a mistake to be made here because what's the windfall for the team behind you? It's the same type of player and the same, you know, projection. And I, I, if the draft is today, you take Owen Power and you, you be happy with it, man. And that's why I don't understand really the, any negativity around the Sabres winning the lottery or anything else. I think that that's, there's deeper-rooted reasons for the, the negativity besides the lottery.
2: <laughs> that's why we brought you on today for positivity.
1: I'm okay. I choose to be positive, man. I choose, to, I choose to look at it half full. Life's short. Everyone needs to cut the shit and just be more positive.
0: What can you tell us about Quentin Musty, the kid from Hamburg who uh, looks like he's going to go first overall in the OHL draft?
1: So to Jonah's point, another great name, um, Musty. Good hockey bag name, good hockey bag smell name. I think, you know, big kid, um, super skilled, um, obviously, right? But um, there's, a there's um, from what I, I know of his game, he works really hard, too, and that's a nice, when you have the skill and the mindset and just, like, the commitment to play hockey and you work hard uh, when no one's watching, you know, that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from this kid. Um people that I know that know his family speak really highly of the family in terms of uh, attitude, you know, the tempo being set from the mom and dad. Um, I think, you know, if you're, if you're going to be a a first round NHL draft pick and and you're an American kid and you want to bypass college, that's fine. Go to the OHL. Um, I'm, I'm always for taking that longer road and taking that fallback option and getting your school paid for, you know, it's like all the hard work and the money that the parents spent, like the confluence is like now when you're like 16 years old, you know, 15, 16, it's like, for a lot of these, 90%, 95% of the parents about, okay, use hockey to get their school paid for, you know? Um, but Patrick Kane, it worked out for him, you know, going up and playing in the OHL is a very high pick and, and went first overall in the NHL draft. And maybe it could work out for this kid, too. Now, on the flip side of that, we've also seen some very high, um, exceptional status players, even in the OHL draft, not really do much when they get up there. They kind of flame out too early. And I'm not saying that this kid, I'm only mentioning that because nothing's a lock down the road. I think it being first overall and going to Sudbury and it's something to celebrate, but you know, the work really starts now for that kid. And it's a good sign though. It's a good mark for American hockey too. It's a good sign for USA hockey to have a kid go up there and and make waves up there, even though the USHL is losing a pretty incredible talent.
0: What, uh, what else did you learn from Kevin Adams's uh, news conference on Wednesday night? Uh, Things that he said about the team or Jack Eichel or, or anything else for that matter that maybe was apart from uh, just his reaction to getting the first overall pick in the NHL draft?
1: A lot of canned stuff there. I mean, a lot of, you know... Um, I'm sorry, candid or canned? canned? Canned, like canned. canned okay. like, I, okay. You know, just kind of basic vanilla, you know. boilerplate. Yeah, I don't expect him to say anything. I don't expect him to tip his hand. I don't expect him to tell anyone anything about what he's planning on doing. Um, body language when he was asked a question about the Skinner potential for a buyout I think Vogel asked that question um, there was almost if, if you can I, I can't I, I don't know I can't say for certain but I mean I think it's something that might be on the table based on how he uh, his body language and how his facial expressions were made when he answered that question um, or at least asking maybe not a buyout of Skinner maybe that's not the right way to put it but maybe asking him to waive his is no move to go to Seattle potentially, um, but not a lot there. Um, I thought I'm, it I'm was gonna...
0: interesting. His uh, comment regarding Jack Eichel's neck, uh, that, uh, they, they still need to gather more information that that 12 week conservative rehab is up, but they're still, they still need to meet, but he did also make it a point to say the Sabres doctors aren't interested in the replacement, um, Uh, the disc replacement surgery Um, it seems to be that if there was any more research done on that on the Sabre side it came up as something that uh, just uh, I don't want to say it's a non-starter but Kevin Adams did make it a point to bring up that the doctors still don't believe in it
1: yeah and it's it's a first of its kind right so it's like I'm I'm trying to be really careful speaking about anything medically because that's just like way beyond my my pay grade my league but I think that um, if the Sabres have done, if they, if they've sit, had multiple opinions on the topic then and they feel good about their, their course of action that they want to take, then I think it's pretty clear that this is probably going to go to some kind of grievance, some kind of uh, you know, arbitration, or I, I don't know what the, what the path is to resolution here, but I'm sure it has to be filed officially with the players association and get in front of someone to make the ultimate decision on what's going to happen. If, if Eichel's camp still feels that he wants to have that surgery. And and maybe, maybe he's backed off that stance. I doubt it though. He seems like he's pretty stubborn about this. And um, it's a mess, man. You know, and the clock's ticking though, man, like something, it needs to be addressed. The injury needs to be addressed here soon. um, To get him healed and healthy for the season. You can, if you're going to keep him around on the assumption that you're not trading him right now, you better make a decision on what you're going to do either way. Right. With with therapy, surgery, whatever, but yeah, I don't know, man, I don't have a good answer or good read on that situation.
3: What do you make of the, the overall lift that Kevin Adams has in front of him this off season, right in front of him and his ability to handle it?
1: I mean, (laughs) there's two ways to look at it. I I'm, I'm always for trying to salvage things, but at the same time, you haven't won with the guys that are here. So take your checklist of who's in, who's out. And the guys that are out, move them. I, I'm, I'm actually in favor of making it a very black and white thing because now that you've had, we've talked about middlestat, Cousins took tremendous strides. I think Anders Bjork, Rasmus Asplund, Cage Thompson, Artu Rutzelainen. You you have this core of guys that are similar age now that could really gel together and learn how to win together. I know people say learning how to win isn't a thing. That's just, that's nonsense. You have to come together as a team and, and win games and battle for each other. That's hockey. Um, and I think that if you want to give those guys opportunity and, and use that as your core group that you're going to start building around, then if Reinhardt doesn't want to be here, send them and bring someone in that you think matches up really well and adds to that core. If Eichel doesn't want to be here, you got to admit you got to cut your losses and go and, and move them, and you'll get a hell of a package for him, I believe. And, you, and by the way, if you're Kevin Adams, you go into any negotiation on the assumption that he's 100% healthy. You don't take pennies on the dollar because of the injury. You don't do any of that stuff. You, you go on the assumption that he's healthy, and you get the best possible pa- – and you, you go through, and you look at all the teams in the league, and you write down what you think your offer is that you want, and you don't settle for anything less than that offer. That's how you negotiate there with Jack Leichel in the trade. Or you do what Sackick did with Duchesne. You say, Jack, I'm going to try to trade you. I'm waiting until I get the offer that I want. And you can be a part of this by going out and playing and you play your best and you keep your value high. And you're actually, I don't buy this. Kevin Adams is not in a position here of like power or anything. He actually controls it as far as I'm concerned. That's how you have to look at it. alignment, same thing, by the way. Those are the three players I look at in that bucket of guys you haven't won with that you can move and you can probably actually get better. John Tavares left the Islanders for nothing, and that team got better. Why not Buffalo?
2: Does does Eichel need to come back and play and prove he's healthy before the Sabres can make a fair trade involving him?
1: I think it helps, but I don't think it's a requirement to make a deal. I think that the reality of a Jack Eichel deal really happens after the expansion. draft players that we just talked about that you maybe that are probably out i'm not moving any of them until after the expansion draft because you're going to get players back you know what i mean that are going to cause you to mess up your list a little bit of the guys that you want to protect don't add more players to make your job harder to protect players wait until that expansion draft and then the rubber hits the road on all this other crap that you have to get done that lift that matthew talks about what
0: what are some of your i mean there are people talk about Skinner and Eichel and Reinhardt, of course, because they're the the big pieces. They're the best players. Um, but what are some other maybe overlooked trade assets that you see on the Sabres? Are there any guys that make you think, this is somebody that they can move and really not
1: have it hurt them or. No, none. Okay. Zero. <laughs> no, seriously. Zero. I mean, I'm, you know, every good trade has to hurt some. And I think the moving Eichel is going to hurt some because you have so much invested into him going back to how they got him. The emotional hurt. The emotional hurt. If there's one player of those three that I would keep, it's Sam Reinhardt, actually. Don't you get the sense? And, I okay, I want to
0: talk about that, too. But since you're just talking, we're talking about the emotional hurt. Yeah. Don't you get the, the sense though? And, and it's all, I got this last night also when the Sabres got the first overall pick um, just a f- couple of years ago, you know, when they, when they got Darlene, when they had the first overall pick, then it was a much bigger deal. And I know that there's no Connor McDavid in this draft class, but it seems as though Sabres fans are totally checked out. And I don't mean like, and you might say to yourself, well, of course they are. The team has been awful and, they had an 18 game winless streak and uh, last place four times in the last eight years and the whole thing. Of course they're checked out, but it seems more so than ever, they don't care. And I get the sense, and this is a sense and it's not a scientific poll, but it seems to me that Sabres fans don't care if they keep Jack Eichel or not either. And, and that's, that's not a, that's a blanket statement, of course, which yeah. is dangerous. I know there are fans out there that love them, want to keep them, want to build around them. But collectively, it seems like it's just a shrug of the shoulders from Sabres fans. Like, what a, whatever.
1: And, and here's the thing is social media the benchmark for gauging like Sabres fans? Or, you know what I mean? Because, like, you know, there's a very loud minority on social media that I don't know if they're the right way to broad stroke the entire fan base. Well,
0: I, I agree with that. And especially on game nights, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. But you, I'm sensing the opposite. I'm sensing an apathy, which there's like, usually on Twitter, you'd have somebody, there'd be an argument about this. It seems as though people aren't even really arguing about it. And if they, it's half, it's like people don't have the energy to even take a stance one way or the other. It's just kind of like well, there's a so that from there there's this malaise that I think is the opposite of what what you're saying. Um, the, there's the, nothing there. There's that, nothing to gain, There's nothing for us to even look at and absorb as to what what Sabres fans are thinking.
1: Years of losing, the air is out of their bag, man. That it's been a bag deflator. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, I mean that's a big part of it. I also think that there's a lot of angst against the Pagulas. Um, they ignore maybe some of the successes with the bills and, and, you know, look at the Sabres because they, there was an emotional toll that goes back to kind of the guarantees of the winning that was going to come and uh, you know, how they got Eichel and how they even got Reinhardt. There were almost like guarantees. It was made to sound easy. And I think that the fans feel burned by that whole process. And um I don't, I'm not going to rehash that. I think a lot of people know how I feel about that, but that, I think it all goes back to that five years ago, you know, six years ago, but I don't know about, you know, like with, with Kevin Adams last night, I, I think Kevin Adams actually has a good mind for the job and the task ahead of him. But even then last night, like he was asked a question about like, well, you know, you were nervous. Um, Terry Pagula texted told you to smile when the, the number one placard was going to be turned over. And he said, he started his, his statement by saying, I was thinking about a lot of things. I had a lot, of, I, my mind was racing. My heart was racing. I was thinking about all the adversity and the tough year that we had. And he says, I was thinking about Kim and Terry and all they've done for the city and the fans and all this and that. But all that was captured in the quote that was spliced out and put out there for fans to chew on was I was thinking about Kim and Terry, the adversity, the season that they just went through the agony, all that crap was mysteriously omitted from the front end of that quote. And that just lends to this whole social media being the devil and just throwing raw meat out there. It was very convenient with how that was phrased by multiple sources, by the way. But, you know, again, I think that, you know, it's just a really negative time but it's all about losing. If you want it to go away and if the Sabres want to get revenue and they want people to buy the tickets and everything else, go and win games. Because what they did was they said, Hey, we're going to be horrible. We're going to be bad. Come buy tickets, pay for parking, pay for concessions. We might be good in a few years. And people did that and they feel burned and they reached the tipping point. I don't blame the fans. I don't blame the fans, but it's, it's bad. It's brutal.
3: Is it possible just a hypothesis that trading Jack Eichel, maybe trading Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhart, maybe you lump Bristol-Onan in and get all three of them out. Could that provide any healing for that, the, that portion of the fan base? Like maybe there's a psychological burying of that era that needs to happen before people can turn the page and, look at this franchise differently i think it's so hard for people to look at this franchise and get excited when so much of it looks the same and there's so many reminders of what they went through what they've gone through and what they're continuing to go through you know with some of these guys
1: i have a really hard time with the eichel thing i make it sound very black and white you know why because i'm not the one that has to make that decision it's very easy for me to say that but now if i put myself in that chair in that very bland office in the, in the arena there, it's a very hard decision to make because I think ideally you try to keep Michael, you try to salvage it. You try to just get past the the stuff that's going on and come and just come and get back together and make it happen. Cause that's like relationship building. And it's just like, there's a lot to be gained by doing that. There's a lot to be gained by keeping Sam Reinhardt because he's hell of a hockey player and he's kind of a becoming like a, like maybe a silent leader. Like, a, he's got some Drury vibes sometimes to him. But, um, but to the healing point, I, I just, I don't know, you know, because part of that whole black and white thing, I think, is what you say. Who's in, who's out? And if you're out, I'm going to move you. That's like old school hard ass mentality. Is that going to work for the fans? I don't know, because what's the return, right? It's like, like I look at the return for Eichel, and, and it's all over the board. And I'm not good at this, admittedly, not good at forecasting what trade returns are. But you got to get some, you do have to get some futures, Jonah. Like you have to get some draft picks in there because it's not all just the the dollars that come in. You got to manage that, the economics of it. And you got to get futures out of the deal. Get a number one goalie, get a number one, you know, get a top line forward if you can. You know, I look at the Rangers, any deal that I make with the Rangers, if it's Jack Eichel going in conference, I got to get Shesterkin. I got to get either Kako. You're not going to get Lafreniere. You're not going to get Adam Fox. You know, you gotta get like a a Kacko who was a top three pick, two, something like that. Shisterkin is a hell of a goalie, 25 years old, a number one pick, something else. Is that gonna be enough to satisfy the fans, wipe the slate clean and just kind of move on and heal? I don't know. Is Kako gonna move the needle? Are the fans gonna get excited about a goaltender? Probably not. There's enough positional discrimination against goaltenders that you see on Twitter every day.
0: They should get excited about a goaltender. I think so.
3: Most important position in hockey.
1: Most important position. Yeah, it is. I was gonna say in sports, but I don't want to go there because it's just another can of worms. But I agree with you, man. It's the most most important position. Point
0: forward for sure.
1: <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know what's gonna heal the fan base other than wins, and it's a it's a basic answer, and it's maybe a stupid answer. It's not this very sophisticated thought that I'm offering, but that's what hockey's all about. It's a results game. Win some games, fans will come yeah, back. I
3: I think that's the the main point of the as bad as it looks and as bad as the fans seem to be checked out and whatever else you can compare it to what the bills went through uh, I think this is worse than what the bills went through with the playoff drought personally it seemed like the bills at least hung around football's a much shorter window on your calendar it's much less dedication to check into bills games once a week and it's, it's more easier a, to
0: make the playoffs in the NHL
3: it's way, yeah, it's much easier of, to make the playoffs. Yeah, the
0: tournament I, it, has uh, more than half the league is allowed to get in,
3: especially to uh, they were. I mean, this is worse than, than the bills. I mean, last year there was what four like a few teams that didn't play after the restart because it was like, all right, we're going to take these teams and everybody's going to have a shot at the playoffs. And the Sabres weren't even in that like Yeah, you know. these
1: sorry sacks just go you can you guys can come back and practice a week early next season. And it's a much
3: more exhausting sport to follow when your team sucks. Like there's yeah. more par you know, there's a lot of parity in the NFL and you're really only checking in for a few months and, and all things like that. But when they want when they started winning, you know, nobody cared about Dick Duran or Chan Gailey or Doug Marone or whatever else, it was all about, you know, diving in. And now it's, you know, this is a football town, but that 10 game win streak they had once upon a time, you know, that feels like 20 years ago, talking about the Sabres, that fired up the city, got, got people excited. I think they want a reason to be excited. So it's probably a silly question or idea on my part to say like, Oh, they need to trade Jack Eichel or Sam Reinhardt to heal because frankly What they need to do is win. And I guess the question is, does trading Jack Eichel get them closer to that potentially? And that's a a tough question for anybody to answer, I think.
1: I think if they made a deal with LA, so, you know, Luke Robitaille loves to make a splash and he has the assets um, to make that deal. (coughs) Excuse me. I think that they would do very well to do business with LA on a Jack Eichel deal. I think they could – I think that the return that Kevin Adams writes on his L.A. Kings post note sticks on his wall, I think that return could probably match that if they were to start talking after that expansion draft or maybe that week leading up to the expansion draft because um, presumably any suitor for Jack Eichel may want to know if they have something here and that maybe changes how they construct their protected list too, all that stuff, right? Um there is something to be, I mean, I, I, like I said, I have a hard time with it because I think to your point about the healing concept, which I've never even thought of it that way, Matthew, but it's like, there's something to be said about just ripping the bandaid off, you know, Shuffle uh, things that era of losing. There's something to be said about, you know, it's like when someone dies and what are you going to do? You are just going to sit there? No, you move on, man. You build your life up again. And maybe there is something to that. It's a, it's a crucial off season. I think for the future of the Sabres in that regard, because, um, the Eichel thing could go horribly worse than it is right now if they keep them and they keep losing and it could, it could get uglier. (laughs) You have a cat. Yeah, man. I have two dogs and I went to get dog food one day and this cat was sitting there next to the, you know, waiting in a cage. And I brought the damn cat home. I couldn't sit there and look at the cat. I never had a cat. cat? I've had her for a while now, dude. Her name's B. I don't The letter the letter B. Are you ashamed? Uh, you never speak of we this cat. For... I'm not ashamed. I'm just not, a, I'm still not a cat person, even though I have one.
3: I only learned this a few months ago on the, we were on the golf course and Chris made a passing mention of his, of his cat. And I was like, excuse me. like, didn't know she's you were a cat guy, but
1: she's pretty Chris cool. Baker, dude.
3: Big cat guy.
1: She's pretty cool. I brought her home real quick. I know we're not here to talk about, we're talking about Owen power. Now we're talking no, we're about,
0: we're here to talk about what I say we're going to talk
1: about, but um. No, I brought her home and I was showing her to Aspen, my big Swissy dog. And B went whoosh, just smacked her and one of her nails was sticking in Aspen's big black nose. And I said, Oh, you're you're a little bitch. And that's what we called her. So her name's B. She she got like within five minutes, she she made acquaintances with Aspen by sticking a claw in her nose.
2: Would your cat fight Jake Paul?
1: Oh, my cat would kick Jake Paul's ass.
0: I I still stop myself, and I'm amazed that that's a thing. I I see a, a thing, commercial for it, and I was
1: like, "That's
2: not that's not happening. That's not real." Fight game right now, both of them.
1: I'm annoyed by the the whole Jake Paul Logan Paul shit. I'm annoyed that I know their names. <laughs> that's heat, though. Come on now. I hope Tyron Woodley uh, takes him down, but he's on the He's on the bad side of his career too.
2: You're going to pay to see that
0: fight. I'm surprised how inexpensive it is, <laughs> relatively speaking. I thought for that if they were doing it, and I'm like, all right, what's this going to cost? hundred bucks, and I was surprised to see it at only fifty. That's a boxing bargain.
1: There's like an army of fans that these guys have, though. I mean, it's it's great business if you think about it, kind of bridging like these two diverse groups of people into like the boxing world. If, Tim, you're a boxing guy. Is it good or bad at the end of the day for the sport of boxing to have them involve the Paul brothers?
0: Bad. But by what degree? I mean, such a small degree that it's bad uh, because boxing is, is such a mess and it's a joke and it's never going to recover because it is what it is. And there's a circus sideshow element to it. This This uh, buttresses that element of boxing. And if that's where the money is, then we're going to get into, you know, getting more butter beans and whatever, you know, whatever it's going to be to make people laugh while they're watching boxing rather than sitting there and admiring what AJ Liebling once called the sweet science of bruising. So it, uh, yeah. What are we going to get together and watch? We're we going to watch some clown get the shit kicked out of him because we think he deserves it versus, well, I mean, you've done that in boxing too, thinking about a guy like Nassim Hamed or any other showboat out there that you just want to see get smoked. But, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a revenue stream is what this is. I don't think it's boxing as much as it is just a, a
2: made-for-TV event.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I think that these Paul
2: brothers should get in the MMA ring. They won't. They, uh, at least Jake Paul, I saw got challenged to Daniel Cormier fighting him. He won't do that. They box because they're pretty, at least trained and somewhat talented boxers. Yeah. Max no, Jake- Kellerman had a good take. Yeah. Though. I just wanted to respond to what you asked him. Maybe you saw this too, Chris. He had a good take. And, you know, Max Kellerman knows boxing. And he says the boxing purists, guys like Tim, it seems like this is bad for boxing, but within <laughs> boxing, people he talks to and, and guys like Mike Tyson, Oscar De La Hoya, everybody's into it. They're excited mostly with the promotion triller and the company has done, but it's energized the sport. It's brought it. Made it's it the, that's how desperate it the they are show. for a
0: draw. They just need a draw. They can't, there are great fights out there to be made, but they can't afford them. They can't even put the, the really good fights against boxer versus boxer together. Right. Some of them because the money's not there to make the two fighters sign up for it because they know they're good. And, you know why? You know, and but there's money to be thrown around at
2: at uh, the Paul brothers. I think maybe the promoters think these fights can draw interest that trickles down to the money for other fights. Yeah, I like think yeah, or the
1: yeah the next Fury desperate. fight or the next uh, like it'll get more like Pacquiao's coming back, right? Like when it, it'll make okay. those fights maybe more interesting to the mass. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's actually good for the, well, maybe not good for the sport, but it's extending its shelf life a little bit because it was just kind of going nowhere like before we had you know there were a a, hospice a legit well he kind of this is palliative care for boxing i guess you're right but it's like i just remember the days when we had a, a legitimate superstar in every weight class now there's only like one guy and that's disappointing maybe maybe you need to take like a conor mcgregor and get him out of mma and make him purely a boxer for five fights and maybe that extends that life even more of the sport
2: well, that yeah. fight, Mayweather and McGregor, I think showed that people will watch and people will pay attention and tune in if the fight piques the public's interest, and that boxing, maybe even more so than MMA, gets the masses excited when it's a, when you know the characters involved and you kind of know who you're rooting for, and, and almost in a pro wrestling sense, that they tell a good story and it's a fight you want to see. Was,
1: the the problem,
0: though, is that people do tune in to watch conor mcgregor and floyd mayweather fight because they their interest is peaked and then they tune in and watch it it's a shit match because conor mcgregor can't go more than four rounds and floyd mayweather is not an entertaining boxer um he doesn't go for the knockout he plays it safe he's a defensive tactician uh and so all he did was just wait out conor mcgregor to get too tired to stand up and then he ended the fight um so, yeah, people tune in, they get excited and they're reminded, oh, yeah, this is boxing.
1: Um, I, I, this, Tim, when Jake Paul fought Ben Askren, whatever, last month or whatever it was, two months ago, I, it did motivate me to go onto YouTube and watch Danny Bonaducci versus Greg Brady. <laughs> yeah. Barry Williams. Bon, Bonaducci, I follow Barry Williams on uh, Instagram, by the way, it's the best. He's a legend. More people need to follow him. Follow Barry Williams, everyone. But yeah, no, I watched that fight. And poor, poor Barry got smoked, man. And I watched Todd Bridges fight someone too.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think who Willis uh,
1: fought. Uh, I can't remember, but man, I went down that. I went down that. That I got sucked into the celebrity Horshack,
0: fight. Horseshack. got his ass kicked by somebody. Horshack
1: smoked. Yeah. Oh, I felt bad for him, dude. Who did Jose Canseco fight? Oh, I don't know. Did he wasn't fight
3: that Willis? A, that was a bar stool <laughs> thing, wasn't it? Jose Cesar. yeah? And then he turtled like almost immediately when he stepped in the ring. That was a big cash grab, I think.
0: All right. Well, we've said all there is to say. I appreciate you coming on and breaking down the state of the Sabres uh, through the draft lens, uh, Chris Baker. I want to remind people to follow not only Barry Williams, but Chris Baker at Sabres prospects. Uh, If you're not following Chris and you're a Sabres fan, there's something wrong with you. So jump on it. He uh, follows all the prospects, all the guys who are off playing in Sweden, all the people who belong to the Sabres or don't belong to the Sabres. He's got takes. He's breaking down the film. He's watching this stuff live and uh, all kinds of great opinions. Um,
1: be more active moving forward too. I think. I think that's kind of the plan here.
0: Yeah, it should be. If you're a Sabres fan, you better hope it's a busy summer for your team, because yeah. there's so many, so many things that need to be done, and hopefully they uh, they give us something to monitor. They were actually something to area. talk about, not just to monitor. We're mon- we're already monitoring. We're just kind of we want something to cover, something to talk about some signs of life over at one Seymour Knox
1: Plaza. I think there's going to be plenty of substance there this summer. So that's my, that's what I suspect, but thanks for having me on, man. As always, it's good to see your faces.
0: Thanks for joining us, Chris. That is Chris Baker at Sabres prospects. And uh, you've been listening to Tim Graham and friends brought to you by CTBK for Jonah Bronstein and Matthew Fairburn. I am Tim Graham and we will talk again soon. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. And see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.